This morning's reading um, is taken from Amos, um, chapter 5, verses 9 to 15, and then 21 to 24, and that can be found on page 920 in the Pew Bibles. So Amos 5, starting at verse 9. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, Though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. And then verse 21 to 24. I hate, I despise your religious festivals, your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Moira. Um, Well, I'm pleased to be able to welcome, because he's now arrived, hooray, our guest preacher, Kanan Floyd. So if you'd like to join me up here, uh, that's lovely. You kept me waiting. I know you've been up in St. Anne's preaching up there with all sorts of technical it issues and things. Fault. It wasn't your fault. So it's lovely to, to see you here. Um, in case you haven't met Canon before, he's, he'll be saying more, but he's head of a tier fund in Wales. Uh, but we know him because he used to be on our staff team here. He was uh, helping us in St. Meyer. Uh, as their assistant there so he was former uh, member of our staff team here so we know him very well and it's lovely when he wrote and said I'm in the area can I do anything and I looked to see what the readings were for this Sunday when Kenan was here and I thought yes this is all about justice uh, who better to talk to us about this and putting rights to wrong in our in unjust society than, than the head of tear fund um, who I know are very concerned with things, issues of social justice so I'm going to just pray for you um, and then it'll be over to you Heavenly Father, we thank you for organisations such as Tearfund. We thank you for those campaigning for social justice. Uh, we thank you for the way that you call us to transform an unjust society. And we just pray that you will open our ears to your word this morning as Kanan speaks to us. Challenge us in our lifestyles, in the choices we make. Uh, help us to be more aware of what your will is for us and for society. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's wonderful being at St. Mike's once again. Yeah, as Mark said, I used to be on staff here. I uh, grew up in Aberystwyth. I even got married in this wonderful building. So it's always a pleasure coming back to uh, St. Mike's. And yeah, as, as Mark was sharing, you know, I, I, I knew I was coming up uh, to Aberystwyth for half term to see my parents. So I thought, oh, when in the area, might as well visit as many churches as I can. And yeah, Mark shared that you were going through this series and this was the reading for today. So that was a real God moment. That was a real spirit-led moment. So yeah, I'm excited because I think God wants me to be here this morning and God wants you to hear this message. So that's really exciting. Mark's also outlined my Anglican credentials being on staff here. So I'm allowed, uh, well, I'm not licensed to preach here actually, but that's another thing. Um, I'm allowed to be here. So it's a really... Um, honor for me to be here uh, and working for Tier Fund is a real privilege because working for Tier Fund means working with and alongside churches like yourselves and that's a real honor uh, so thank you so much for uh, your support and your generosity as a church towards the work of Tier Fund it really means a lot and it means that um, churches around the world in partnership with St. Mike's churches you don't even know about are really transforming their societies in the name of Jesus. Uh, and I'll be sharing a little bit more about that later on. Uh, and I'm the youngest of three siblings. Anyone else here one of three? Uh, quite a lot, yeah. Anyone else here? Can we have the picture up, Anna, for some uh, cute effects? There you go. Uh, I'm the youngest of the three. Anyone else here the youngest? One, two, yeah, <laughs> you weren't sure there. Got reminded, oh yeah, I am, yeah. yeah what, what do they say about the younger siblings? That we're all always spoilt, yeah, always get our own way, and that we're the favourites. Definitely not true, no, definitely not true. And... <clears throat> um, um, one thing that's definitely not true is that we always got our way with the siblings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely not true because growing up, growing up, my siblings could do whatever they wanted to me and with me. Unfortunately, that meant being a dummy for my big brother to practice his WWF, now WWE, wrestling moves. I got choke slammed, I've got stone cold stunned, I've got tombstone pile drived a thousand times. Uh, and then, weirdly, for my sister, I was a mannequin where she would dress me up as Edward Scissorhands. Remember that? Yeah. Don't know how that worked, really. Not health and safety. Um, yeah, so I just stood by and let them do whatever. Uh, they wanted with me. I trusted them. I thought, yeah, they're my brother and sister. They're not going to harm me. No injustice is going to be dealt to me. But I do remember one occasion. I do remember one occasion. My brother and his mates had built a go-kart from scratch, from that classic 90s building blocks, Quadro. And, oh, and, and there's a picture of the actual event. That, po that photo isn't photoshopped at all. Um, and I remember my brother and his mates putting me in this DIY, homemade, not very safe, quadro go-kart. 
I must have been about six, uh, and outside my parents' home in Comets Coch, on top of a drive, um, facing down towards the road. And I, I remember feeling the go-cat being shoved and readied by my brother and his mates. One, two. And then I remember panicking. I remember this, this feeling inside my heart, inside my soul. And I shouted out, no, no, enough. This isn't right. And mam hearing this cry running outside to save me. I remember that fear inside me, that feeling of, no, actually, this isn't right. This is injustice. And I cried out, no, no, this isn't right. Enough is enough. That feeling of knowing that injustice was being done to me. Now, you'll be glad to know that I've reconciled with my brother years later. No, not really. Um, And of course, this story, it actually happens, but this story is a light example, isn't it, of injustice being dealt. You know, when we look at the society around us, yeah, in Aberystwyth, in Wales, in Cardiff, where I live, and definitely overseas, when we read and hear and watch the news, thinking about Gaza and Israel, especially this morning, Yeah, this is a light example of injustice being dealt. But I'm sure we can all maybe recall that moment, that instance where our eyes were opened, our hearts were broken, and we called out or cried or prayed in despair, no, enough is enough, this isn't right, when we witnessed injustice being dealt. And we should feel that, shouldn't we? We should have that painful feeling inside our soul when we see injustice being dealt. We're called by God in his words, according to the prophet Amos, not to bring God our best worship songs, not to bring him our Sunday best clothes, not to even bring him our perfect reformed theology. No, we're to bring God, no, we're to share with God a righteous anger towards injustice and a desire, a passion that turns our prayer and cries into action so that justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. I was preparing this talk last week when it was World Anti-Slavery Day on October the 18th. And this year, because a combination of social and economic factors, this year is a real heightened year that puts people at risk of becoming victims of modern-day slavery. Did you know, in the UK alone, the UK alone, there's at least 122,000 people in slavery. That's in the UK 
122,000 people in slavery. Around the world, the figure is 50 million, at least. 50 million people in slavery today. Modern slavery, of course, is one example of injustice. You might be passionate about racial justice, about climate justice, about gender justice, about the fast fashion industry. Great. You might be passionate about all of those things, even greater. But when we think of all these issues, is there a deep, God-given, spirit-filled groan within our soul that cries, no, enough is enough. This isn't right. This isn't right. So what can we do? What can we do as individuals? What can we do as a church in the face of all these great injustices we see around us? One thing we can do, and it might seem the obvious thing to do, but this is what God's put on my heart to share with you this morning. One thing we can do is to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus, spend time with Jesus, study his word seeking God's will, and see the heart that God has himself for justice, and put into practice what Jesus did in his earthly ministry when he encountered injustice. Now, I could choose tens of encounters that Jesus had with, in, with uh, individuals that showed his heart for justice and how he went about tackling injustices. But I'm going to look at one brief one this morning, if that's okay, but a really powerful one, and one I keep going back to time and time again. And we see it in Luke, Luke chapter 8. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Isn't Jesus great? Isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't he beautiful? We don't know this woman's name. We only know what her circumstances are. She's the bleeding woman who's been bleeding for 12 years whole 
years. Her story is one of great courage and desperation in the face of social injustice against women. She's been suffering for 12 years, a bleeding that no amount of money, no amount of expertise has been able to stop. And bleeding for women in Jesus' time meant being completely and wholly, body and soul, unclean, untouchable for the duration of the bleeding. But for this woman, her bleeding had meant 12 years of suffering, of separation from community, of being unclean and untouchable. You're forced to know that she has no one else to speak on her behalf. There's no husband, there's no brother, no sister, no family, no friends to make a way for her to meet Jesus, like the guy who came through the roof with his mates. We don't even know how old she is. We just know that the chips were stacked against her. Because in that time, if you were a woman, you needed a man. And if you were a bleeding woman, you were unclean, cut off from everything and everyone. The bleeding woman, that would have been her identity. Here here comes the bleeding woman. That's the bleeding woman. Have you seen the bleeding woman? She's, She's been bleeding for 12 years. That would have been her identity. The story of her life was the fact that she was the bleeding woman and had been bleeding for 12 years until she met Jesus Christ, the living God. Until her life was completely transformed by Jesus Christ, the living God. Jesus completely transforms her life. And in his in, his, in this little history of Jesus and the bleeding woman, Jesus gives us a little framework where we can use in terms of our work tackling social injustices. The first thing that Jesus does, Jesus invites the woman to speak for herself. Jesus invites the woman to tell her own story despite her fear and trembling. Are we looking around us thinking we've got the answer for their problems? Or when we see injustices in the society, are we allowing the victims of injustice to tell their own story, to shape their own future, to tell us, the church, what they need and what we can provide for them? Jesus invites the woman to speak for herself, to tell her own story despite her fear and trembling. And in our conversations with um, victims of social injustice, are we creating a safe space for them where their fear and trembling disappears and they feel a safe haven in our churches to share their story? He, Jesus, makes room for her in a way no one else did. 
and he waits for her patiently to speak. She could have left. She knew she was healed. She felt it. She could have left, but she didn't. She took the space and tells Jesus her story. So Jesus makes a space for her to use her own voice in a safe space to tell her own story. Jesus gives her a voice. And Jesus tells her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It's his power, isn't it? And it's her faith. That's how her transformation happens. Jesus is power, her faith. So, Mike, do you know that Jesus is in the business of transforming lives today? He's in the business of transforming society, bringing divine, cosmic, heavenly justice into this world. And he invites us to partake in that mission. This woman who was the bleeding woman is now called daughter by the living God. Her identity has been completely transformed from being the unclean, unwelcomed, bleeding woman to being a loved, cherished daughter of God. She has entered into his kingdom of justice where it's her faith that qualifies her, where it was her uncleanliness that disqualified her from the society. This woman who was unclean, banished from society, no friends, no family, is now reconciled to all of the above and more. She's now a daughter of the great living God. And Jesus here models what it's like to see social justice bringing glory to God. Are we modeling our lives around Jesus? Do we see people in our community who aren't unlike the bleeding woman, really, in terms of their circumstances and declare, no, enough is enough. This isn't right. Are we allowing victims and survivors of modern day slavery, of domestic abuse, sexual abuse, to tell their own story in a safe space without fear of judgment, victimization, stigma, banishment, just like Jesus did and modeled to us with a bleeding woman? Are we giving back their own voices? Are we offering them, like Jesus did, a complete transformation, body and soul? Are we offering them Jesus and his transformative love? No one is beyond the love of God. His grace, his forgiveness, his transformative love. Jesus called the bleeding woman daughter. A new identity, dignity, purpose, a place, an earthly and heavenly 
family to belong to? Are we offering victims of social injustice the transformative love of Jesus? I work for Tia Fund, and Tia Fund is a Christian charity with over 50 years of experience in international development. We believe that poverty is not God's plan, and an end to extreme poverty is possible. We work directly alongside local partners and churches in um, in underserved communities where extreme poverty is. And our motto is following Jesus where the need is greatest. Following Jesus where the need is greatest. And that means following Jesus to places where human trafficking and slavery is rife. Remember those figures I shared at the start? 122,000 victims of slavery in the UK. 50 million victims worldwide. And as a charity, we declare, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. And what we hear from our partners is whilst traffickers, often it was violence to physically take people into slavery. Traffickers also, it was poverty as a way to take people into slavery by conning them and trapping people um, in bonded labor or sexual exploitation with a promise of money, of, of work, of salary, and higher pay. In Nepal, in one of the countries where Tia Fund work, in Nepal, the aftermath of a decade-long conflict and an earthquake in 2015 that killed 9,000 people, this has led to a significant impact, as you can imagine, on the economy and social cohesion in Nepal. Poverty rate um, is higher Unemployment is higher, and that means that especially girls and women in Nepal are particularly vulnerable to trafficking. And this is one woman's story of being trafficked from Nepal, and she is called Rama. Rama is in her 30s, and she's got two small children. And before she was trafficked, her husband had already left the country to find employment in another country. But Rama's situation got so severe where even when one of her children was a baby, she felt she had to leave Nepal to go to the Middle East to find employment. She had no knowledge of employment laws. She had no uh, knowledge of her rights as a woman, as an individual. So she arrived in the Middle East and there was no employment agency, the people she had been um, dealing with. They were non-existent, although they had taken her money to get her there. There was no support for Rama and things went wrong from day one. She was employed as a domestic maid, and from the first day, um, she was being physically 
and sexually abused. Over five months passed until she finally got hold of a fellow Nepalese woman. And through her help, she got in contact with the Nepal embassy in the country. And eventually, through the embassy, she managed to return home. But she had endured five months of physical, mental, sexual abuse without any wages paid to her at all. Upon returning home, she became depressed, she became suicidal. She says that she had lost all her hope for her life. And she came to the attention of Tia Fun's local partner in the area of Nepal where she lived, called the Shanti Foundation. And the Shanti Foundation provided counselling and started to involve Rama with expressive art therapy. And it was at those sessions where she got to know a wider group of women who were also survivors. And this became a space where she could share her own story, find her own voice, and listen to others. And her life has been transformed as she has found a renewed sense of unity, love and life and purpose within the community in the Shanti Foundation and her local church. And Rama, alongside the women from the Shanti Foundation, have set up their own advocacy group for women's rights in order to prevent more women becoming victims of modern-day slavery and trafficking. And Rama told us, even after coming home to Nepal, I struggled with my mental health. I felt lonely and depressed and had no love for my life. After coming into contact with the Shanti Foundation Protection Project, I am so grateful that I have a new life. They took care of me and provided me with support so that now I am able to stand on my own feet and raise my own voice for my rights and to help to advocate for an end to human trafficking. Rama's story is one of hope, isn't it? After horrific circumstances, and hopefully gives you a glimpse of the kind of work that you as a church support through Tear Fund in countries like Nepal, where your money supports people like the Shanti Foundation and people like Rama and the women in her group. It's a story of hope after horrific circumstances. And I think there's another quote on the screen. Another girl who's gone through the Shanti Foundation, a note her age, 14. She's a survivor, yet she's only 14. I like to hear the miracle stories of Jesus because when it seems impossible for us, it is still possible for God. And that's what we see. The, the stories that we hear from our partners across the world, the stories of God doing the impossible through churches, through charities like the Shanti Foundation, bringing hope 
into hopeless circumstances, just like we saw Jesus, the living God, do with a bleeding woman. Rama's story is one of hope, but not all human trafficking stories have a hopeful ending. In every region of the world, humans are being sold, bought, and traded like objects after being deceived, forced, and abducted. No, no, this isn't right. So what can we do as people of God? Can I have the QR code on the screen, please? One way is... Uh, by supporting the work of Tia Fund. You might ask, what can I do? 50 million victims of slavery. Will I make a difference? Well, yes, you can make a difference, and you are making a difference, because it's through the support of people like yourselves, Rama has survived. And if you scan this QR code, uh, this will take you through to a donation page on Tier Fund's website. £12 a month, only £12 a month, can provide support for people like Rama, who have been traumatised by the experience. As little as £12 a month. What's that? Three, four coffees a month? As little as £12 a month can change the life of someone like Rama who have survived what they have been through. So we find hope, don't we, in people like Rama. We find hope in Tia Fund's partners who are working worldwide. And praise God for them. But then we find our ultimate hope somewhere else. We find our ultimate hope somewhere else. 1 Corinthians 1.27, Paul writes this, Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Where does our ultimate hope in the face of injustice lie? In the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't put our hope there, then we won't have the strength to fight the good fight. The ways of the world have been only turned upside down once. That was at Calvary. The cross presents us with the most extraordinary inversion in history, it pits the epitome of weakness against the epitome of strength, and weakness wins. At the cross, two rulers and two wisdoms collided. Caesar's world of military power, pride, oppression, injustice, murder, hate, racism, systematic corruption, and greed met Christ's divine wisdom of humility, service, sacrifice, love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, 
and Jesus' wisdom wins. At the cross of Christ, the cross of Christ conquered all the power of evil and ushered in the reign of God and the rule of the kingdom of heaven where justice reigns supreme. Yes, maybe on the cross on that Friday, it looked like Rome was triumphant. Yes, on the cross on that Friday, it might have looked like the rulers of this age and this world of oppression, injustice, hate, greed had won as usual again. Yes, it might look like hate had had the last laugh. But no, because on the cross, as Jesus said, it is finished, the veil of the temple was torn and the whole cosmos breathed a sigh of relief and shouted not no no this isn't right shouted yes yes it is right Jesus has won victory Jesus has won the day because by that Sunday morning things looked completely different the Lord of glory wasn't dead he had been vindicated the prince of peace wasn't in the grave because he had conquered all in his resurrection the king of kings in that garden tombs tomb had ushered in his kingdom where justice row like a river righteousness like a never-failing stream had no power of hell can ever defeated no earthly authority can stand before it And no darkness can ever defeat its light. That, brother and sisters, is the victory of King Jesus. Jesus saved the world from the dominion of evil by dying on the cross, by resurrecting again. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Because the cross and the resurrection of Jesus shows us and models us a better way of gaining victory. The cross and resurrection shows that there's victory over sin and the world that oppresses, abuses, corrupts and harms. And that, my brothers and sisters, is where we find ultimate hope this morning in our conquering dying king that has promised to make all things new yes yes it will be right it must be right let's close our eyes let's bow our heads as we finish let's take a few minutes to process what we've heard to think to let God speak into our hearts. And as Christians, as the church, if we are to be more like Jesus, how would we treat the oppressed, the marginalized? How do we care for the poor? How do we do what Jesus did? Do we need to repent of anything as individuals, as as a church this morning, our greed, 
our craving for power, the ways we uphold systematic oppression rather than challenging it and dismantle it. How do we care for women, girls, daughters, sisters, wives who are open to abuse and slavery? If the church today was to be more like Jesus, how do we respond to survivors of abuse? Women who are abused, violated, Do we blame them? Do we stigmatize them, reject them, allow them to be abused again? No. We love them, we care for them, give them their voice. We give them Jesus, who transforms body and soul, because he is the living, conquering, resurrected, living God. Amen.